Hi, this is Bruce Hamburger, former assistant at Seton Hall back in the day. You're listening to the Left Coast Pirates. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow from Trenton. Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes. Coming to you just west of the Ward Place Gate from San Diego, California. He is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. How you doing today, Mikey? Good morning, Tommy. How are you hanging in there? Oh, man, I tell you what, man, it's starting to loosen up. I'm feeling pretty good. I- I'm nervous. You're always asking me if I'm excited with when we have a guest come on. I'm a little nervous this time. You know, we got we got a lot of unanswered questions about what's going on in the world. You think the world is loosening up because, you know, San Diego has what, like, you know, a, a fraction of the coronavirus cases versus our brethren back on the East Coast in New York, New Jersey. And we have Brian Felt coming on today. And we're going to have to ask him a lot of tough questions about the planning, the budgeting, how we move forward in this pandemic. How do we get back to the things that we love, like Seton Hall basketball, while being sensitive to the subject matter. So, I mean, I want to ask all the questions that we need to ask, but I'm a little nervous to ask Brian and see what he actually says. Well, Brian is a returning guest here on the podcast. Obviously, he's the athletic director. He's in the know, and it's going to be, he's going to give us answers. He was candid the first time. I bet he's going to be candid this time. He is the Seton Hall University Athletic Director. Please welcome to Left Coast Pirates Live, Brian Felt. Brian, how are you today? I'm doing great. Good to be with you guys. You're supposed to say welcome back, Tom. He's a repeat guest. Come on. (laughs) Friend of the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Brian. So like we're doing with every episode this summer, we just want to be sensitive to what's going on around us. How's the family doing? COVID-19, coronavirus, the quarantine. How's everybody in the family doing? Well, you know, it's we're we're all doing well. Thank you, though, and I hope the same for both you and your families. Uh, at the same time, we're, it's it, this is this is obviously tough for everybody, and uh, you know, we're getting through it though. I got three kids at home doing homeschool. My wife's a school teacher; she's teaching school online, and then I, I'm usually relegated to the basement to handle my Zoom meetings and whatever else I got to do. And we're just getting through it, like everybody. You know, we're just finding our way through. Are the walls starting to creep in? I'm, 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 I have this running joke where I'm in the garage. I do like 10 hours to 12 hours of my job every day because I'm in the mortgage business. It's blowing up. And then I realize I'm doing podcast stuff. We're watching TV with the kids. I'm in the man cave. It yeah. feels like around the clock. It's just the walls. Well, just like in. there are phases that will re- re- revisit society and get back into society. There's been phases of quarantine, I think. Like I started my quarantine. I was doing fine. I had the kitchen table to myself. I was doing my work, doing great. Then I got moved to like a different room. Now I'm literally in a basement. I look at my hot water heater. That just tells you the importance that I run in this household. <laughs> I, I literally have been just like, right, you know what, Dad? You're too loud. You talk too loud. You got to get out of the way. You got to get out of here. So it's uh, we've gone through it all, but we're my getting My daughter it. walked in the other day and go, Dad, we got to make the garage more beautiful. I go, get <laughs> off the garage. 
I go, the garage is mine. That's my space, yeah. Well, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Brian, I got to say, you know, we were in the same graduating class, if I remember correctly. That's right, yeah. And we both had the requisite 90s goatee going, in, especially in our graduation pictures. You know, I keep telling my kids it was a requirement back then because they just sit there and laugh <laughs> at me. But for a while, you changed your look a little bit. You had the COVID beard growing, and now you're all clean shaven. What happened? Was, did the family you, give you a hard time? You know what? Uh, I think I just kind of got tired. Of, I don't know what it was, but uh, you're right, though. I had the goatee in college. I think I even had a beard for a little while in college, and I, I you know, I always had fun with that. But then I just went. I stopped. Uh, I started shaving regularly, and uh, this quarantine, though, as you know, with anybody, you get. You get, who wants to shave <laughs> you know so i i did I, I literally had this thing was going i mean i had the full beard and it was memorial day weekend i shaved it i think it was the sunday we were barbecuing out back just the wife and kids and and I, we had uh barbecue chicken and literally i had barbecue sauce in my beard and it was it was kind of disgust i was like disgust i was like i can't get it out i'm like what? i'm like you know what i'm going to shave i'm like enough it's a, it's a snack yeah, i thought i later. thought he just shaved just there. to be on the zoom with us tom i was getting all excited like you know he, he made himself all prim and proper to be on this was my, pirates this was my i just finished my first week of being back to the clean shaven look and every meeting i was on everybody made a comment oh wait who's this guy apparently i look completely different well so, yeah. obviously we got a chance to see you on twitter hence we were able to kind of see the the evolution of your look uh, right. let, let's stick with uh kind of twitter relative to the coronavirus and covid 19. sure the athletic department immediately got on board and introduced the pirates wellness video series and to be honest it's it's, it's been kind of something to distract us it's been a positive for everybody out there as we're going through all this but episode eight cooking with kelsey was oh, clearly God. my favorite brian we're gonna we're gonna hit you with the the tough questions right out of the gate uh, How many zucchini chocolate chip muffins have you eaten while in quarantine? So, <laughs> this cooking show is probably going to be uh, something I, I, all my buddies from Seton Hall have had way too much fun uh, with that more than anyone. But uh, I will tell you the funny thing, I can honestly tell you I had zero. We have to make them without chocolate chips for me. If I have them, I am allergic to chocolate. So I always oh. tell my daughter, put chocolate chips in them. That way I won't eat them all. So <laughs> it's very funny. But when we do my, I love my daughter. She's so sweet. She, she will always, when she does her baking, she will try to find something that does not have chocolate in it so that I can usually partake. But so, uh, yes, but she's a big baker and uh, she doesn't stop, which is a problem around here, especially for our waistline. Uh, absolutely. Right, let, I keep let, telling let, people it's the COVID-25 for me. Oh, <laughs> oh, easily. Oh my God. Yeah. We were saying I, I do admit though, we, we get out for walks more often and bike rides than we ever have because it's now ingrained in the routine to just break it up and do something with uh, right. new activity. So at least, at yeah. least we have that. That's All right, let, let's stick with the Twitter engagement. So it's evolved. We have now Teamwork Tuesdays. You have the hashtag stay at home challenge. And we've seen the women's soccer team do the toilet paper challenge where they're kind of yeah. kicking around screen to screen. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. You got the trick shot challenges. But most important, you have the numerous tweets recognizing current and former athletes who are doing their part to assist with COVID-19, specifically the nurses that are battling the front lines on a daily basis. We at home truly appreciate seeing these types of positive messages and pick-me-ups. Can you say a few words about the effort that goes into maintaining this level of engagement from the athletic department? I really appreciate you actually asking this question because um, I've been incredibly proud of our staff for, for the way they put all this together. And you made a point in the, in the question before talking about how we were really quite, uh, right at it. We got after this and we went right after this wellness series. And we started talking about it as a group, I mean, days into you know, the COVID-19 pandemic, we started to say, well, we've, the number one priority for us has to be the engagement 
uh, with our student athletes because you know you're a student athlete. You are used to you're you're obviously used to routine, but you're you're really used to you get up in the morning. Usually you're going right to the athletic department. Maybe you got an early morning lift. You got a workout, or you've got uh, you've got a meeting with your coach. You've got you know whatever it is. You've got to go to the, you got treatment in the in the training room. Uh, you're you're used to being in that building. You got to stop by the locker room. You know, there's such a daily routine for an athlete to be in our building and to be in our presence of our coaches and our staff. That that was what we kept saying. How are we going to how are we going to be able to mimic that uh, in the scenario that we're in? So we really kind of I, I credit Tom Chen and his staff in our communications area and and Jay Judge and stuff in our Pirate Blue. All everybody kind of really pitched in and did a nice job coming up with these ideas of how can we engage. You know, let's do the teamwork Tuesday so that our athletes can sign on and do a workout. And at the same time, it really became very engaging for our alumni. So I'm really happy to hear um, that you guys enjoyed it. And I certainly enjoyed it. And then, you know, Tom kept telling me, he's like, you know, try and do some, you know, that he wanted, they wanted me to do some presence, you know, have a presence. And our coaches really did a nice job having a presence. And our student athletes really rallied around it to do all the fun videos. And I, as, I loved watching it. It was just great for me because I'm used to seeing them every day. Well, the social media engagement is nothing new for you guys. I mean, this year we had some great work with the production of The Voyage. We yeah. really appreciate the One Shining Moment episode to answer Jeff Goodman's challenge at, to wrap up the season. Yeah. I mean, it was fantastic. It brought tears to our old man eyes. I think I've watched it like 15 times. I love oh, it's it. That, it's I mean, the, the song in itself is is not that good, but you put that with the highlights with the, and it's like, I, I'm missing it. I've watched like 50 of them across all the other yeah. teams. It's just, it's that, I mean, who cares about like East Carolina State, but I'm watching it and I'm like, this is good stuff. And then you're a Luther Vandross fan right away. I mean, uh, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, but the question comes in, is this a media platform that the fans should expect? to see consistently going forward i think with the voyage specifically uh when you know we were really blessed to have two just amazing students in uh in joe and keith these guys are graduating and and um they were amazing the work the, i mean you watch those videos and you know i i sat there and i watched them i'm like this is professional quality like they did a truly really tremendous job i think actually my wife made the greatest comment she finally i think she watched the bahamas video the one after they were, we were not, yeah, we were in the Bahamas. And she's like, this is like watching a travel, you know, travel channel. Like, this is really, really well done. I'm like, yeah, these, these guys are fantastic. And they were students. And that has been kind of our, our what we're, we're trying to move towards. So you're right. I mean, I think that's, that's what we're trying to aim to do more and more, deliver this kind of top quality product, not only for fan engagement, recruiting wise, it does a tremendous amount for us. It just really kind of showcases our program the way we wanted to, uh, to do it. And we had talked about going into the season, knowing it was going to be a special season. And the idea was, how can we do something that follows the team along? And really, we were we were blessed with Joe and Keith and these two students who just did a tremendous job, and uh, it came out great. I love it. Well, no doubt that presence helps out with all those aspects that you bring up. However, yeah. this area of communication is ever-changing, and it's always constantly growing, and the popularity wanes and, and flows. <laughs> And therefore, more mediums need to be embraced. Now, for example, Instagram, it's not a new technology, but over 120 million adults in the U.S. are on Instagram watching these things. It's another good way to communicate. But if I'm not mistaken, Seton Hall and Seton Hall Athletics have IG users, but men's basketball doesn't. Now, there's numerous people who have obtained names that are close and there's one especially who I think is an undergrad. His handle is shu.mbb. He has almost 8,000 followers. Now, shouldn't this platform be part of that flagship sports program? Shouldn't it be taken advantage of? 
Yeah, and, and I I can tell you that we're going to be moving towards that. I, it, we embrace Instagram, as you can see. We have a we have a SHU Athletics page, and I think our uh, our social media folks uh, really felt that, that we wanted to build that SHU Athletics kind of brand a little bit. We didn't really start with teams having their own pages, and then eventually this past year, a lot of our coaches wanted to start creating them, and, and we are going to be for next season having some sort of men's basketball specific presence. I think we'll capitalize on it. I will say though, it really has built our athletics page. Uh, our overall athletics page to get a lot of attention, but I, I will, I see us doing more on the Instagram uh, vehicle moving forward. All right, Brian, let, let's stay with the theme of transformation. So this past year was the start of many upcoming scheduled on-campus renovations. Let's start with the completed renovation to Mike Shepard stadium and ONT Carroll field. Are you happy with how that final project turned out? And could you also talk about the decision to name it after legendary coach Shep? It is, it was right, it was, it's unbelievable, right before, the, the week that this whole thing, that the world changed was the opening of the stadium and then our first game in the stadium and then a pandemic hit. I mean, that's like the three days, you know, it's like unbelievable. Uh, I gotta be honest, this stadium is absolutely stunning. It is, you don't use the word transformative, it is, it transforms uh, that side of campus in a way, it really brings a presence to our facility over there, our outdoor athletic facilities. It's got that beautiful brick facade, so it kind of matches the brick around campus. I just think it fits so, so beautifully. It's right on that main drag, you know, the main road that goes through campus, so you see it. It, it's, it gives that presence, which is what the idea was. Uh, and it's it's a first class, you know, facility for our student athletes to compete in. And our baseball team is just, uh, they're they were blown away by it. We're one and zero in the new stadium. Sadly, we're just you know we only got to play one. But uh, you know, and the soccer teams love it too. It, it just does. It's got you got the chair back seats. You just got you just got the whole feel and the branding that we've been putting in it just really kind of brings it to life. And so they, it was they, it, they don't have to stand in the parking garage anymore to watch that's the what I'm saying, uh, right? right? I I would I used to standing outside the fence just watching games from the road, right? And now you've got just just a beautiful seating arrangement for a fan. Um, I'll tell you. It was a no-brainer, obviously, to name it the stadium after Mike Shepard Sr. I mean, he is Seton Hall baseball. His name is not only synonymous with it, I think he defines it. Uh, our, I've never seen a program that literally truly is just ideally represents an individual. And that's what Shep did to this program. I mean, it, we obviously have the benefit of not only having Shep been a part of this program for as long as he was, but then his son to carry on that tradition. That certainly helps build that identity. Uh, but I mean, it's just the way they do everything. It's the way our baseball program represents the school. It's the way they represent uh, all of the, the, the different members of our, our, of our department. I mean, they're just, they're really, um, they do an amazing job and the stadium being named after him was an emotional day for, I think the Shepard family uh, and anybody that knows coach Shep. And, and I was blessed to, I took his class when I was in college and I used to work the scoreboard uh, when I worked in athletics and he would yell at me if I was too slow to put a strike up on this. On this <laughs> and I, I, it's like, you can still hear that, you know, he just, he has such a profound impact on so many people, you know, there's a great story about coach Shep, a chainsaw and climbing the fence along the uh along the border of school we could talk about later he was he was an interesting character back then there's tons of stories but hey he's a marine he was an ex-marine i mean this guy is he's he's everything you know he just really was an amazing person i was gonna say his uh his grandson bobby is a walk-on on the team right now so yeah. maybe you could just pass the baton and it could be shepherds coaching for generations upon generations right yeah it's amazing to see bobby there too i remember my uh, bobby i remember seeing when he was little coming around the department all that it's just great to see him out there and he's a tremendous young man and uh it's been great all right, uh, sticking with renovations. So up next was Walsh Gym. You guys were auctioning off the old seating to kind of raise some extra funds. Has the coronavirus delayed the construction timeline 
on that project? It has. Uh, sadly, it has, but, you know, it's made sense, uh, you know, certainly as any any institution of higher, you know, learning right now is dealing with financials and if you can't have, you know, full-time school. Uh, so certainly to be cognizant of that, we've pushed that project off, much like the university has pushed off a lot of uh, facility projects they were they were about to undertake for the summer. Uh, so our goal is to be up and, and start that project in April of 2021. So the last time we had you on, we also talked about the importance of a facilities upgrade mm -hmm. uh, just to stay on par with the other members of the Big East. And you mentioned that you thought it was going to be in the range of what Providence had built in that 30, 40 million dollar range. And just as luck would have it, just the other day, President Nyer came out and was interviewed by Jerry Carino. And the following was said, I can tell you that we're moving forward with our $109 million bond issue with our four projects. One is a practice court on campus to make sure we could sustain the excellence we attained this year in basketball. And the Suetonian actually dropped a similar article on that yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. So was President Nyer making reference to the revenue bonds that the New Jersey Educational Facility Authority was planning to loan Seton Hall? So I, I, the specifics on the bonds, I mean, I, I don't have all those details. That's not that's not my uh, in my wheelhouse over there at, the, at my job. But uh, yeah, I know Dr. Nyer, uh, he's, you know, he's been phenomenal in his early tenure here at Seton Hall. And uh, especially, you know, he's shown just the tremendous leadership that he has and the way he's dealt with this uh, this, this situation, but uh, yeah, he, you know, they, the university has gone out and, and taken care of getting some bonds to prepare for uh, some upcoming projects that I th think they know are incredibly important to the entire university. And yes, the basketball facility is one of those. Uh, it'll be uh, a, a major portion of that will also be fundraised for, and that's what we're working on. We're kind of in the very silent phase of trying to prepare for that. Uh, at the same time, we've been preparing for the facility, you know, kind of to roll that out and to show what that we want to look like, want it to look like where we'll put it, those kind of things. We're all in that planning phase right now, but the other really important projects are gonna have a really great impact on athletics as well. That, you know, that those articles that you just uh, referenced talked about, you know, there's a plan to do some things with uh, dorms. Dorm space is very big for us in athletics. It certainly helps in our recruiting. Uh, another piece was to do something with the, uh, the, the university uh, student center, another huge part of our recruiting. So it's, a, it's really exciting to see this kind of, you know, foresight uh, not only out of our president, but out of our university, and uh, to to see that these things are included, will make a they'll make a big impact for our program. Only about thirty years too late on updating that <laughs> university center. Jeez, man, that thing was a dinosaur when I was there. Well, hey, yeah, you know, I, that, I know. <laughs> Mike, Mike, in his in his total negative ways, I'm just excited that <laughs> the school is kind of reaching into South Orange more and more. I mean, we yeah. always had you know off campus housing with Oral Manor and such, but. You know, it's nice to see it kind of coming off campus and be kind of really joining in with the city because that always, always that always wasn't the case. No, you know, Tom, you're right. It was my time there, too. It really wasn't. There wasn't you didn't leave camp. I mean, Aura, I think, was around and that was about it. Um, there was nothing else. Now, you, you know, the Terrell Manor apartments are phenomenal. That's actually where a lot of our student athletes live. You know, they have just full kitchens in those rooms and they're very, very nice at what they've done to those. I remember I had buddies that lived in them. When they were just apartments and now that seton hall taking them over i mean you go in there they're they're, they're a, a major upgrade uh but you're right and there's, there's a lot of you know if you were to come to campus now you've got homes that were lived were around campus that the university has has purchased over the years i mean now our hr department is in a home across the street uh you've got a couple other departments that have you know public relations and marketing has a, has a home across the street we've purchased a lot of real estate over the last several years and that 
trend is continuing, which I think is good. So when the article first came out like about two months ago, it had alluded to about 140 as the potential bonds uh, issuance. Now, I know you said you don't know the nuts and bolts of the individual budget lines, but when you see a number potentially now get cut back to the 109, when it was originally mentioned in 140, that could lead people to kind of assume that, well, each project in itself will probably get scaled back. Do we see Seton Hall still maintaining that 30 to $40 million type budget specifically for the practice facility? You know, there's been no talk of scaling anything back. Uh, there's not that has not come up once. I, mean, I think we're still, you know, we still are planning that pro- our specific project out. So I mean, there's there's uh, there's plenty of work still to do, but we have engaged with architects and things like that to start the rendering process and start to really give us a picture of what this can look like. Uh, but we're not looking at scaling anything back at this time. Every college, Brian, and university has been forced to evaluate these types of budget decisions and challenges differently, right? So Seton Hall is still full steam ahead, but that's not the case for everybody else. We're starting to see some schools actually decide to cut back on specific athletic programs to reduce overall costs. And, you know, is this a business decision that Seton Hall is going to confidently feel like they're going to be able to avoid going forward? Uh, you're specifically talking about sports, right? Eliminating sports for these departments. Yeah, I, I can yeah. tell you, here's the one, here's the one state's in that for us, Michael. I mean, we, we are, we're at the league minimum. We have 14 sports, so we really can't, we can't eliminate any sports. Uh, and, and I'm confident. I'm like, it's, comfortable to say that we have no need to do that. Um, you know, I, I know what you're talking about. And I certainly, you know, you, I follow the landscape of collegiate athletics daily. And I've seen some of these, you know, very difficult decisions having to be made. I've actually had to do it. You know, two years ago at St. Peter's in my first year, I eliminated three sports uh, or I was part of a, a staff that had helped eliminate three sports. And that's a difficult thing to do. More than anything, it's really hard on student athletes. It's not something that anybody really wants to do, but I mean, you see schools like a Brown eliminating 11 Division One sports. You see, uh, you know, I've seen a, several. I mean, a school like University of Cincinnati eliminates a men's soccer program, which was in the early going. That's it's usually a very big program to have to cut. So, uh, it's tough, and and sadly, that's just telling us what the financial landscape is like for a lot of schools right now. Uh, I'm happy to tell you that we aren't going to have to do that or need to do that. But yeah, uh, let's take you out of the let's take you out of the hot seat and stop talking about money for a second. Let's transition more specifically to the men's basketball team, which is what we try to focus with on this podcast. Last summer, you said it wouldn't be fair to measure the success of the men's basketball program based on a lofty goal, such as the final four, that the baseline for success should be competing for Big East championships. How proud are you of what the team was able to accomplish last year, despite being the, the season being cut short? Oh my God. I, I can't even begin to tell you how proud I am of this group. Um, you know, I, I talked to coach Willard on a pretty weekly basis and, you know, that we'll, we'll so quickly kind of slip into that. What if, you know, conversation and it's, it's tough, you know, it's tough on him. It's tough on me. It's tough on you guys. It's tough on everybody. We get that. And, but you know, when you sit and you actually take toll and you look back at what this group accomplished this year, um, you know, pr- just proud doesn't even begin to really explain how I feel. Um, we are we were really blessed to have, and, and we always do. We usually always have tremendous young people, student athletes that are part of our program. This is a special group, uh, and I think every fan knows that. I think everybody that watched them knew that. I've gone back and watched old games. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I it's, it's just you can't help it. I mean, I mean, my, it's it's unbelievable because Miles Powell and what he represented for our institution is just it's it's truly amazing. He's an amazing young man, but there's all of them were like that. You know, yeah, sure. Miles was out front. And you saw him on a daily basis, but Quincy McKnight, I mean, you know, Roe and, and Ike and all these guys are such great representations of, of our program and our university. I'm just proud of the only way they carried themselves, but what they accomplished. I mean, they're regular, you know, be regular season, Big East champion. And I, I, 
feel confident just like every fan does that we really would have had a, a special march but uh we'll just have to leave it at that i suppose well, you mentioned these seniors, and you talked about how special a team this is. Can you talk specifically about Q, Rowe, and Miles and what they meant to the program both on and off the court? Yeah, I mean, this is a group that you talk about. I mean, listen, it's tough. You know, I'm, I'm not – I'm trying to understand just how special they are. I mean, it's a tough thing to do. I mean, you, you're, you, you're a Division One men's basketball student-athlete, and that's that brings a lot of responsibility with it. And when you're an 18 to 20-year-old, you know, 20, 21-year-old kid, you know, that's that's a little different to learn how to handle than it is an adult to handle something among, of, of that magnitude. But this group never wavered. I mean, I've seen the – I watched the growth. I remember Miles Powell as a freshman, and I, I, I missed his sophomore and junior being, being away. But just to watch his growth from knowing him as a freshman, being in that building around him on a, on a daily basis, watching him from afar for two years, and then being back with him in his senior year, um, just his growth, I think that's almost the blueprint you could have. If you could have every student athlete with that kind of growth, not only performance, but just as a person, how he developed his personality. He was a shy kid when he came in, very reserved. Just the way that now he talks, the way he addresses, you know, you see him when you read the media clippings and you see the way he is on TV. He's talking about his university all the time. He's talking about his teammates all the time. The way he is with fans at games and signing things and giving things away. And that's the way they all were. You know, they all brought something different to the table. I mean, I think Quincy was just a one of those born leaders who didn't have to do it by saying much. He just he did it, you know, by the way he acted. Uh, and I think Miles really learned from Quincy, and I think Quincy really learned from Miles. And then you bring a guy like Romaro Gill, who, you know, is an under-the-radar kid, you know. So he bring, you know, you know, Quincy, we we kind of knew what we were getting. We were gonna get a defensive specialist. Great kid. Miles, you knew, was you know, a solid three-point shooter when he came in, but then he really was starting to flourish as a great player. And then you got this kid, Romaro Gill, come in. Yeah, you knew he was tall. You know, usually when you think of a seven-footer, seven-one, seven-two kid, you're like, yeah, you know what? Listen, I wanted to block shots. And yeah, they gave me some points. You know, at the end of the day, that's that's really what I want to ask. This kid did more than that. I mean, he was uh, really quiet off, off the court, but incredibly intelligent kid, personable, polite, and just, again, had fit into this team, this dynamic that this group really just had. And the three of them specifically, I think were just really, really the pillars of that group. I think it's funny you mentioned that Miles was shy around the camera and now we're watching him his senior year. I I loosen up for the camera too if I'm sitting there interviewing or getting interviewed by Jimmy Dyke sitting in a, a lounge chair in the middle of the ocean in the Bahamas, wouldn't you? <laughs> yes, I mean, how about that, right? <laughs> you know, the funny thing about Miles is Miles will, will get very nervous with those kind of things. He'll get very nervous. Like we want him to talk at the um, the Pirate Blue Beefsteak in October and, and that, that really actually kind of you know, I wouldn't say it petrified, but it makes him very, very uneasy. It's not something he likes to do, getting up in front of a group or talking, but uh, he did it at that event. He did a great job with it. But it's funny, you know, that's that's growth. I mean, that's that's part of being a you know in college, right? I mean, you got to learn to do all these things, and certainly Miles was able to tackle it. Well, if he ever needs a little practice, he's always welcome to come on here. We'll make him feel comfortable. <laughs> so, so, Brian, you know, it wouldn't be us if we weren't a little salty about something, obviously. And we had a lot of bitterness at those Creighton fans celebrating like they had just won the national championship on that last game. I mean, we went through it over and over. We thought it was a little over the top to celebrate a third of a Big East title the way they did. However, it is special. It was their first Big East title. Kudos to them. Is there any kind of special ceremony being planned to reveal our banner and recognize our achievement? Yeah, I listen, I know how you feel with that stuff. I was there. Oh, <laughs> you know, it was a... 
I looked up, I saw a banner coming down and I saw the mascot up on top of the basket. I was like, what the heck is happening right now? <laughs> um, but that's always a tough position, obviously, when you've, when you've lost a game and you've got such a high emotion going. Um, but I will say, if I can real quick, the folks at Creighton are amazing. They've been tremendous uh, members of this conference since they've joined. Bruce Rasmussen, their AD, is probably one of the greatest ADs in the country. He's somebody I really... Uh, I look up to he's been a, a good mentor to me over the years and and yeah they they definitely i think they probably even tell you they probably went a little bit too far but they hadn't really been there before so you know, the old saying act like you've been there before when you haven't been there before i don't know how you're supposed to do it so you know hey it, it was fine and and uh, at the end uh, we do have m- several plans that we will be you know i think working towards as we all look to get back um you know we it's funny we hung a banner <laughs> jimmy o'donnell who's our senior associate ad we had got a banner created and we announced the regular seat we knew we got at least the regular season championship and it's just a you know it's a simple banner that we just we're going to hang in the entranceway to the building so that you know we had the presence that people realized we went well no one really ever got to see it uh, you know so it's it's up we put it up like literally it finally came like the week after we all got dismissed and had to go home but it sits in the building because i've been back to the office a few times and but i can't wait for others to see it but uh in terms of a banner from the rafters and all that we absolutely will have plans in place and we'll make sure we do it when we can have as much fanfare as possible i, I think we'd hate to have to do it and we've got either no fans or limited fans. I mean, the plan is to be able to celebrate this as best as humanly possible. Um, so we, we will do something, absolutely. Let's go back to Miles Powell for a second. Clearly, Miles was the centerpiece of it all. He was a transcendent player. As you mentioned, a joy to watch perform and grow throughout the years. Who knows if, if and when the next time we're going to get to see a player of his magnitude wear a pirate uniform, right? You know, I, I, I think if you ask anyone, they will tell you that Miles Powell number should be retired. Is it just a matter of announcing the date of when it's going to happen at this point? I'm so surprised you guys asked me this question. <laughs> Everybody asked me this question. Listen, there is no question. I would never, there's nothing I can deny with anything you just said. 100% agree. We have plans to properly honor Miles and we will. What I will tell you is this. What I've, since I've came back and I, it's something that we really, we've talked about even before when I was here, we want to put together a proper uh, plan in place for our athletic department in the way that we honor our former players. And we want to do it. So we have some sort of guidelines. I think we haven't really had something like that in place before. Uh, and it comes to, and it's going to involve number retirement and some other things that I think we're going to look to do down the road. I want to look at the ways to honor so many of our former players, you know, bring back folks like the Mark Bryant's of the world. And, 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 and listen, I, I'm with you. And, and, but there's so many Mark Bryant's. I mean, really there are, I mean, think about it. There are, no, there's no, so no, many really... no, no, there's only one double O. No, 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 well, there's, there's only no, one right. Mark Bryant. In that regard, but there are so many people <laughs> like Mark Bryant, which is why I said that, that really had an impact on our program. And we want to do something that we are properly celebrating them honoring them miles without question is at the top of that list. I can tell you that. So there will be plans in place. Absolutely. So did, did Tom send you the, the podcast notes ahead of time? Cause I feel like you're, no. you're jumping ahead of my next question here. The, there were, there the miles... was no prep. Wait, wait, I've just but... gotten this one a hundred times already. So I'm just ready. Yeah. Well, well, Brian, I'm going to say this. I think in general, we missed out on a golden opportunity from, from uh, many perspectives about, retiring miles number on senior night you know from mm-hmm. a logistics standpoint you've got total control of miles schedule at that point and you know who knows where he's going to be playing next year and who knows what the schedule is going to look like so it's or whenever you know down the line you know there's plenty of guys who have been you know there's questions asked always how come you don't see mark bryant more often or more or this guy more often well mark bryant's been in, involved in the mpa for like sure. 25 36 years so of course he can't make it back logistically it's not possible 
And for my own selfish reasons, I was in attendance on senior night, and I thought, oh, see, there now we're getting to the root of it. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm a greedy guy. I'm all about there you. For Terry's... It's all about you. <laughs> always about Tom. It's always about Tom. I was there for Terry's retirement. I wanted to be I was there, there for Miles' <laughs> retirement, and I thought it would have been fantastic. But what was the thought process? Was that even ever in play? Well, I'll tell you what. That Terry retirement, and I, I was there for that as well. I mean, that's a that was a very unique situation too i mean you don't see it happen that way very often no no not it's an at all. emotional it's an emotional night when you get your number retired and we all saw how how emotional miles was on his own right. senior night take out the number possibility i mean you just saw <laughs> how emotional he was i i don't think we, we really ever wanted to put anybody in that position i i understand the terry thing trust me i was i was there i watched it uh, i went as a fan i sat in the upper deck i remember it as like it was yesterday it was amazing but um yeah, I mean, certainly, yeah, it was it was probably discussed a little bit, but at the same time, I don't think we wanted to kind of go down that road and put anybody in, in putting, you know, just that. That was a conversation really between coach ourselves. We all kind of really felt that wasn't the best at that time. So, uh, we, we uh, trust me, we'll have good plans in place and do it the right way. So, so the Miles Powell question was supposed to be the layup, Brian. It wasn't supposed to be the hard-hitting question. <laughs> and you already started kind of answering my next question, was why I was joking, saying, "Did Tom give you the inside scoop?" You know, we want to stay on the subject matter of retired numbers for a moment. During our summer series interviews, we've had the chance to speak with, you know, such greats like Bart Bryant, Danny Calandrillo. And every time that we post the interview afterwards, the topic eventually comes up and people are kind of talking about why aren't the numbers retired of these other iconic players? And what we don't know is, is there an official process for selection in order for that to happen? Or is the athletic department going to take a new stance on that going forward? Well, that's what I, and that's what I was referring to before. We want to create a proper process and a policy on how it's done. And there are a lot of schools that have 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 actually done that. I've actually we've actually already started a lot of this work. We've seen some schools that have currently put new policies in place. I mean, listen, we can sit here and retire a bunch of numbers, and we're not going to have any numbers left to play with. Uh, uh, on, that's a silly rule. Tom says it to me all the time, <laughs> Michael. That's a silly rule. It was back in the day when the refs had to kind of announce like the foul because they only had yes, you know, right, numbers right. on two hands. Yeah. Why can't why why does that have to be the rule anymore? I get it. I get it. I mean, trust me, I know. But um, I think there are also ways, though, with number retirements that you could do them where you might just be retiring jerseys and you're not. Retiring. I agree. There's creativity around this. And that's what we're trying to put in place is the proper protocols to make sure we're doing this the right way. We don't have any kind of loopholes. We get this done right. We honor the right people. And I think we're going to come up with a really good way to balance that. And, and make can, I, can I be on the planning board? We, we talked about like a, 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 ring, of, Mike, a ring of honor, like a ring of honor, Mike, right? any say in this, man, don't we have Mike had a conversation about ring of honors. Trust me. I'm listen, I'm, I'm being as transparent as I probably have ever been on this topic. And I can tell you that we are looking at it because I can list off so many names that just being a Seton Hall guy, I, I know that I think deserve some sort of honor. So I mean, there, and there are names that we can go way back to, you know, I mean, there's, uh, there's just so many, so. Right. You know, in general, just to let everybody know, there's only 37 available numbers. Oh, it's, people always say it's 36. They always forget double O. Uh, yeah. you know, and in, in my humble opinion, you know, Mark Bryant and Danny Calandrillo, those numbers need to be taken out of circulation. However, I will say, though, we've been hearing a lot of great stuff about you and your administration, Brian. You know, there's a clip uh, from a Danny Calandrillo interview that we did earlier this year where he talks about how how welcoming you guys make him feel and how how much you guys kind of bring him in. We talked to Dan Dunn off podcast and he was talking about the great job you did with the 40th anniversary. What kind of things can we expect 
to see to continue to promote that alumni engagement. That's nice to hear, actually. I, I, first of all, two, both those Dan's are super guys. And uh, I listen when I was, you know, doing the Pirate Blue thing for the 16 years I was at Seton Hall, and, and the staff and myself, we were that was always a big thing. Was how can we kind of do a better job of that? And then, and I think it took us a while to probably get there, but really had we had to get re-engage a lot of people because. There just weren't some some of our former players weren't coming around or whatever. There was a disconnect. I mean, you talk about Mark Bryant. Certainly, he's got a schedule that's a challenge. But I mean, I've I've talked to Mark over the years, and I remember he'd come back to some games. Uh, I think he might have been there maybe the first year at the Prudential Center. He might have gone to a game. It was the last year or at Continental Arena. I can't remember, but it's been awesome when we can get these guys to come back. And and you noticed probably even over the years where we like to try and introduce them when they're in the in the crowd to the fans so they see them because it's just it's something special about that that connection between a, uh, you know, a former player and the fan base uh, and the alumni, um, you know, Danny Calendrill is a great example, a guy that, you know, since I, I remember I started at Seton Hall, I got to know Danny. I didn't, I certainly didn't know him. It was playing days. Uh, it was before, a little before my time really kind of being aware of it, but I certainly learned about Danny Calendrill pretty quickly as, as I became a Seton Hall guy. And I was like, wow, this guy was special, you know, and, and the fact that we were able to get him to come back around and, and others to come back around helps then bring more, you know, so I think we continue to work through that. We've done things where we'll just we'll, we'll take a suite at the arena and then we'll host, you know, a particular team, you know, a particular former team, or maybe we just get a bunch of guys and try and get them to recruit some other guys. And we do it for all teams too, by the way, not just men's basketball. We've been trying to do it more on the women's basketball side. Uh, we've used, you know, done stuff like the tennis, you know, alumni, you know, so on and so forth. It's important to reconnect that past with our present. And I think it's really special when you can have these guys come back and meet the current teams um and i think actually through this we've actually had some really nice moments during this quarantine that we've all been in you know um i know adrian griffin just um talked to our men's basketball team on a zoom not too long ago uh we had sasha kleshton and jason hernandez two you know great soccer players that's seen in all history come back and talk to our soccer team on zooms you know we're we're, we're trying to do that as much as we can arturis kernishevis is a name that comes to mind it, 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 you know he's 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 a good friend of mine and he's just an absolutely great human being who's been tremendously successful and whenever he comes back and he talks to our athletes it's 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 honestly it's it's very profound and he gets he gets a lot of uh, attention so we continue to try and do that uh and i think we're going to do a better job as we keep on you know building off of it um but yeah and i think this part when we talked about the the crux of what we're talking about when we talk about honoring people and all that that will help build it to make it even stronger I'm going to continue to weasel my way onto this planning board committee thing here. How about we take like the season tickets? We're always promoting the current players with their pictures on the season tickets. Yeah. We could run like a special series where, you know, each ticket promotes a previous Seton Hall. Great. I, I, I don't know. Just throwing it out there. Brian. I love the idea. I, I remember we did, what was the year we did? We honored one of the, I think it was the 25th anniversary of 89 team. I think we did. Didn't we do all those guys on ticket? Yeah, yeah. I love all that yeah. stuff. I love it. I'm love, I absolutely love it. All right. Well, let's, let's move away from the past. Let's continue to move forward. There's a lot of exciting stuff to, to still look forward to. Kevin was able to secure a commitment from Harvard grad transfer Bryce Aiken this offseason, and immediately the bar was raised for the Pirates to expect to return back to the NCAA tournament. Is it a fair goal now to start setting the bar at going to the NCAA tournament, considering that you know essentially they've made it five years in a row now? Well, I mean, I think that's what we were trying to do. I mean, that's been the whole plan is to create this this consistency in our program, you know, where it's it's every year that's what we're in competition to do. So, you know, it, with that comes expectations, and that's the tough part, right? But, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think you can right now. I mean, I think Kevin's really excited about his team. Um, I think, you know, listen, he's not, he has to replace a Miles Powell, which we all know is irreplaceable. Um, so, you know, I think when you take that into uh, – 
consideration. I mean, I think if Kevin can get back there again, it'll be tremendous. And, and he's certainly putting the pieces in place. Oh, they had to replace that graduating senior class of Desi and Angel and KC and True. Ish. And yeah. nobody thought we were going to be going back the last two seasons. So Absolutely. Na- now there's a blueprint in place. There's a culture in place. And we're also seeing a better continuity relative to scheduling as well. So mm-hmm. as we start looking at the schedule for 2020, 2021, it's already starting to come into focus. You got a home and home setup where they're playing at Penn State. They're playing at Rhode Island. And it's nice to see friendly faces like FDU and St. Peter's back on the schedule again. Uh, But was this all expected as kind of like a pre-planned adjustment relative to the COVID-19 stuff to see more of a a local flavor with the scheduling instead of kind of broadening our horizons? Like we were going out to St. Louis and we were kind of leaving the Northeast a little bit. Now it seems like very Northeast centric. Yeah, I mean, I think yes and no. I mean, we had some of the schedule was really kind of done a little bit before the pandemic had kind of hit, but at the same time, you know, we had some scenarios that were, we were, you know, we were deciding between some, some games to play. And I think the pandemic might've pushed us in one direction as opposed to the other, uh, you know, and Kevin and I talked about it. That was probably in the, in the first month of this whole thing, we probably spoke more on schedule than anything else uh, as we were trying to pin down some things. And really, you know, we talked about it earlier about how this is going to be so different for institutions. It's certainly going to be very different for athletic departments. Uh, financially, we got to be fiscally responsible, just like, you know, as a, as a partner of the university. So I think that was a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, we had opportunities to go play in some different locales that would have taken us a bit more of a trip. Um, and I think I heard we California, also, I heard California, Brian, there was one out there. Yeah, I know. Uh, listen, never going to be off the table. I'd love to get out there again, but, um, come out to San know, Diego state and we'll have a big barbecue <laughs> in my backyard, Brian, bring the family. I got kids. All, right, be great. all right, let's go. So, yeah, we, we, I think at the end of the day, though, we felt that we chose the games we chose because they just made sense for us, not just based on location, but based on opponent, based on all the different factors we look at when we schedule. Um, and we were able to do a home and home, you know, which are always good things to do. Knowing that we'll have Penn State come back in, in, uh, in the following year is great. You know, we knew that was a good game to get for us at home. We know how many Penn State or alumni are, too, in this area. I mean, we think it could be a good draw. Uh, it's a good opponent for us at this time. You know, much like Rhode Island, we know we have fans that will make the trip up there. We have a lot of New England-based fans. There's a lot of those factors that we thought about. So you talk about physical responsibility, and then I want to kind of transition to the Charleston Classic. So now we have this, you know, travel over the Thanksgiving break, and those probably are not cheap to kind of put together. Are all the expenditures covered based on the appearance fee? Or is that something that's part of the budget that we just have to do based on the exposure of the program? Uh, it's a little bit of a combination of a few things. Yeah, there are certain certain MTEs, these multiple multi-team events are will have uh, you, you'll, you'll you'll get some funding through some of them. Not all of them, but some will kind of pay you like a guarantee, if you will. Um, and then there's some that provide you know certainly discounts on on travel or hotels or things like that. You, you, there's there's aspects of that in each one. Uh, then there's also you know, you do want to do it because you want MTEs are very, very good for your program because of the visibility you can get. You know, they, they, for example, Charleston's a, a, an ESPN tournament. You know, we know we'll be on ESPN for those games, much like that. The, the Bahamas, which we played in this past season, was a tremendous exposure event. So, yeah, you want to be in those things. And then you also know you're going to go play, you know, in most of these tournaments, you're going to play some pretty top level talent, which you want to be able to do to build your net and your, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a if, if there's so many of those factors, all of them play into it. All so so we get it. we we get it from a basketball perspective. I mean, I love those tournaments, yeah. but being conscious about what's going on with the coronavirus, do you think the university could catch some slack and go, hey, maybe that's something we should have backed out of, or all the programs should have backed out of and been sensitive to the situation? 
Yeah, I mean, it's spot. I mean, we looked at it. We, we also like the fact that it was on the East Coast. It wasn't too far, you know, it wasn't a, a, a far location. I mean, we've been booked for this, by the way, for years. I mean, usually MTEs, by the way, when you get an MTE, usually it's a few years ahead of time. Um, so, yeah, we, we talked about a few things like that. Listen, for fall sports, we had to make some really difficult decisions already. We had to say, listen, we're not going to fly anywhere in the fall. You know, we had to make some of those calls when we talk about fiscal responsibility. And, you know, Kevin took it on upon himself and the way he looked at his schedule, too. Like, I also want to be fiscally responsible. So, you know, as opposed to Sally not being able to go to California, I'll play somebody more on the East Coast side of, you know, side of things. So, yeah, it, absolutely. Well, speaking of California, with us being the Left Coast Pirates, we're real excited to hear that there was an announcement recently that the Big East and the Pac-12 were have created another interconference challenge series. You know, how involved are you and the other ADs with Val Ackerman and Stu Jackson in coming to an agreement on these deals? So the Big East is great like that. I will tell you on that Pac-12 thing, when it came out, I think it was, a, I wouldn't say it was misreported, but there was a little bit it, maybe that wasn't understood about it. It does exist, but it's really a per school, you know, kind of invite thing. It's not a full-on conference commitment. Um, so there's some schools in the Pac-12 that have, you know, extended offers to some Big East schools, and they're going to look to start to try and start something. Um, not, it's not the same as the real the formal agreements we have like with the big 10 and the big 12 uh, which we still have and we're still continuing with so the the big east is great i mean they, they listen they'll bring an idea forward and say if there's another conference we want to form a you know an alliance and, and or a, you know a, a tournament of some kind they'll run it by everybody everybody has a say in what they think on it how do we want to play into it and then we work out a schedule um so val and Stewart are great in that aspect they brought the pac-12 thing forward saying listen that if this happens it's probably going to be a per school invitation and that's where that sits for now i think that's still a work in progress that that particular those games well uh, let me tell you get on the phone with ucla come on out <laughs> to poly pavilion we're gonna make the trip up to five and see that game there you go uh, yep well, who knows one day so, Brian, that's interesting. Tom and I thought that you had the three different conference challenges now that were on the slate and that one or the other might get eliminated from the schedule. But yeah. there has been rumors that the Gavit Games is coming to the end of its contract. Is Are we to assume that that's just such a great thing that's going on right now that they will absolutely renew it and continue that that partnership? I, I would say it's I, – listen, I think everyone's been really pleased with it. Uh, I think it's uh, – you know, it, it takes on the namesake of uh, of, the, uh, of Mr. Gavitt, which is something that's important to us. So I, I would imagine it's something we'll continue to to entertain and want to try and extend. Uh, I don't know officially when that date is off the top of my head, but or when that time it runs out. I know we're not in it this year. We, we rotate back into it next year. But, yeah, I, I think it's something we've all been really pleased with as a conference and, and, and all the schools as well. All right. Speaking of things that potentially getting renewed, not getting renewed – the season ticket holders were just informed by email that they're going to be able to start renewing their 14 game prudential home schedule starting on June 1st. What do you expect the initial response to be? Are you think everyone's going to sign up again, or are we going to see some anxiety about people getting back and being in close quarters to other people with social distancing yeah. and whatnot? I'll tell you what, we were really, this was something that we really were trying to be as sensitive as possible about, you know, normally we would do renewals in April. Um, we obviously didn't. We started our entire staff, actually all of our ticket sales staff and our Pirate Blue staff actually reached out to connect with all of our season ticket holders, whether it was a phone call or a specific you know, email. I think pretty much everybody got a call where we were reaching out doing kind of like wellness checks, just checking in with our season ticket holders saying, listen, we appreciated your support throughout the year. You know, we're looking at you know, moving forward to be prepared for our season. What would you think you know, if X, you know, Y or Z? And, and we really were able to get a lot of feedback that way, which was, I think helped us make this decision. 
And a lot of the feedback we got, and it was heavy on this, was, listen, we're ready. We want to go back. We want to be Everyone's back. Everyone's ready. Come on. We want to go to games again. We want to, we, you know, listen, I'll send my, I'll pay right now. Um, <laughs> but no, knowing also that there's going to be some that, that, that might not be the case. And we get that. Uh, and we're going to, and we want to be sensitive to that. So we put it out for June. So we pushed it back, obviously, from April to June. We'll, the renewals will be out there. We'll see kind of how they, how they trend. Um, I am pretty optimistic. And I think most people are, are, are ready to get the idea of, like, listen, hopefully we're going to be back. I'm hoping we're back uh, where we could have the entire fan base in the building again and, 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 you know, things are normal, but we're so far from having the answers still. Uh, assuming that everybody does come back or we're allowed to come back, is there a social distancing protocol that's being put in place or being talked about for those initial games? Absolutely. We actually had a call. We've had several calls. We had a call this week with our, our friends at the Prudential Center to discuss a lot of these things that involve the building. Prudential Center's done a very nice job um, already creating that kind of uh, environment and putting together some some uh, basically some guidelines on how it will work, as, as have we for our campus uh, facilities. So I think we were able to really have a good productive conversation this week to say, listen, as we continue to hit these markers, state and government wide, you know, figuring out how, where we're going to be when we get there, we have to be prepared for each scenario. So yeah, we're prepared. If it's got to be uh, social distanced fans or, you know, whatever the number is going to be based on the capacity, we're prepared for a lot of these scenarios. What happens if there are no fans allowed to come watch? Let's say we are still in a kind of semi adjusting quarantine kind of setup. Does that mean Prudential Center is completely out and all the games get moved to Walsh? Um, you know, I, I think that could be possible a possibility, but I wouldn't say that's a definite. Uh, it, it could be possible that we're, you know, we're, we're still playing games in, in Prudential Center. I think we have to determine that. We've been, we've had really good open conversations with the Prudential Center about that. Uh, there are certainly nice aspects, even though you don't have fans in the Prudential Center. You're you're in a professional building. You know, it, it gives that, um, it gives, it gives you that reputation. I think if people are going to be watching the games on TV, it gives you that reputation that you're playing in a big building. You've got that you know, facility at the same time, you know, it might make sense to play some game, more games in Walsh if we can't have fans too. So I think we're balancing that. We're going to figure that out. Well, that was going to be the next follow-up. There's obviously yeah. got to be a financial impact of making the decision Absolutely. to play in Prudential Center, but not collect the revenue stream of those ticket sales. So how detrimental would it be just in general not to have or have a season where no fans are allowed to attend and therefore you don't generate that revenue off the, the sale of tickets? Absolutely. I mean, you're seeing it right now. You listen to the college football discussion and you're seeing how much that means to these schools and how how much they're ramping up their efforts to make sure they have college football because they know the revenue that it brings to a, to a university, to a program. Yeah, it would be it would be a hit. There's no other way to say it. I mean, it would absolutely be a hit to any program at our level in the Big East that that has, you know, brings in a considerable amount of money revenue wise through ticket sales and sponsorships through your basketball program. So that would, it would definitely, it would definitely be a knock. And that's, you know, where we're, we're trying to remain optimistic and hopefully be the case that we won't have to worry about that. But it's a, it's a certainly a very likely scenario that we will. And we already had that scenario happen to an extent. There was no big East tournament. There was no NCAA tournament. So the revenue sharing from that was lost. Can you kind of put it into a big picture perspective for the fans that really don't kind of get to hear about the financial implications, how big of a missed opportunity that is from a budget perspective when we do not have an NCAA tournament and how catastrophic could it be the landscape of college basketball if it does not happen again? Well, I think you just talk about the numbers. I, I think right, if, you, if you don't, uh, the NCAA March Madness basketball tournament results in $600 million of revenue for the NCAA. That's $600 million is chopped up and divvied out to the entire membership. So you're 
you're, you're basically losing, you don't have 600 million. So, I mean, that, if, it, if you want to talk about how that affects, you know, not only the NCA, but each institution and membership, it, it tells the story right there. And the NCA was only able to pay out a fraction of that based on dipping into their reserve and doing some things that they could do. So we, everyone took a haircut uh, in terms of that payout. So it absolutely is, it has an effect on our bottom line. There is rumor that the NCA could be under pressure this fiscal year to possibly not even exist anymore. Is that a reality that you guys are preparing for? You know, I, I gotta be honest. I think I've, I've obviously seen that a lot this past week with the, uh, the, the football five schools uh, talking about, uh, you know, you're, you're that rumor at least being out there. And then I've seen a lot of people in the football five come out and say, this is absolutely not something that we're looking to do. I, I'd be surprised to be perfectly honest with you uh, if that would be something that would happen, but uh, you know, it's, you know, the way things have changed, uh, you know, we continue to kind of monitor and see where we're going to go. But I, I really would be surprised if that would happen. Well, you know, we could talk about the financials. We could talk about scheduling new players to a blue in the face. However, I think what most Seton Hall fans are clearly concerned about is, A, the health of the student athletes, and B, mm -hmm. the prospects of them actually being able to take the court in a safe manner, obviously. What are the preparations and planning going on for fall sports in order to compete under these concerns? We continue to, uh, we're, we're working very close with the conference. Uh, so we have worked uh, incredibly close as, as a group of 11 schools uh, to prepare for how a fall season could look like and, and the whole timeline for an entire year. We've also obviously done a tremendous amount of planning as a university. Uh, you saw just a week ago, Dr. Nair put out, President Nair put out his his plan to return for the fall, which I thought was just tremendous. It was actually a, a very good um, boost for us as we kind of saw that there was that light, you know, at the, at the end of the tunnel in the sense, okay, great, we have an idea when we're going to come back. Let's now, we can kind of plan towards that. You know, we've, we're putting in protocols, you know, Tony Testa, our head sports medicine has done a tremendous job. He's been very active. He serves on the Big East COVID uh, task force uh, team in terms of putting together all the proper protocols we need as a campus and athletic department for how do we treat visiting teams to our campus to how do we maintain uh, our weight rooms and our training rooms. So we're following all of those kind of things, certainly dealing with guidance from, you know, the CDC and the state. Uh, and local government um, so we can put plan in place for when everyone returns and the plan is obviously will be communicated to our student athletes whenever we can plan on getting them back and that's what we're trying to figure out currently right now we know the semester is planned to begin August 24th when can we bring the fall students back on is what we're trying to determine next you know we had John Fanta on prior to the Big East tournament and this was right before everything started canceling, obviously. And we asked them the question, you know, the Ivy League had canceled their tournament. Did, you, did he think this was going to be a one-off? Was it going to continue? And he thought that the NCAA and the conferences themselves were going to kind of take a cue from the NBA and what it does. So my question to you is, are you guys paying attention more to potentially the professional sports or are you keeping an eye on how major college football sets the tone in both execution and fan involvement? Both, without question. And we're also also trying to chart our own, if you will, because we're trying to be prepared. I, the last thing we ever do is just be reactive. We want to be incredibly proactive to be prepared. Uh, but yeah, I think we all saw, and I know exactly how John what he, what he refers to in that. Obviously, when this all went down during the Big East tournament, you know, once the NBA, that happened in the NBA, I think the dominoes just fell, and they fell fast. You know, I mean, I, I, we went from canceling a Big East tournament to having every spring NCAA championship being canceled. I think it was almost in like a few hours, you know. So 
we know how that can happen. And I think that's why we are watching all these things so closely. We watch the Major League Baseball, you know, plans, the NHL and see what they put out. We're seeing what the NBA now saying with July 31st. You know, we're watching all those things closely because we know the, the effect it could have on us, you know, as we're all, it's all sports, you know. So, uh, and then we're also watching the college football uh, decisions will, will absolutely have a factor too. I mean, that's the first real domino in the collegiate, at, you know, landscape to have to fall. So we'll see how that kind of plays out. See, it's funny. We were talking about the internet and social media and its influence out there in society right now. So you get a lot of different ideas on uh, what people's perceptions should be as to how we move forward. So I've read a ton of different articles. One article I read was Bill Evans of NJ.com. He recently wrote an article discussing the National Federation of State High School Association and their guidelines to return to high school athletics. So you guys might be looking up to follow a certain metrics, but I'm also looking down at the local levels to kind of see how they're going to address stuff. And the article states that the NFHS states that there is a near certainty of recurring outbreaks that could require entire teams to isolate for periods of two to three weeks and recommends the state associations plan for such periods. I mean, are the Big East and major college athletics going to follow a similar principle? And if they do, I mean, what kind of contingencies do you have in place when an entire team has to be quarantined in the middle of a schedule? It, to me, it just it doesn't make logistical sense yeah. that you can have a season if that happens. The biggest question without question that we, we ask every single time we meet, you know, what are our scenario plannings? You know, we're, we're talking about the planning for return. But we, the biggest question about a return is the what what do we do when this happens? Because, again, you know, it's these are all incredible possibilities for them to happen. We're seeing, you know, we're seeing the return to society. You know, I watch every news broadcast now, probably more than I ever have before. And I think I saw this morning in the in the Ozarks that giant party that happened, and everybody saw it. Now somebody tested positive. Well, there's a surprise. Um, so I mean, you know, it's it's absolutely it's a question. You know, and I, I referenced Tony Tess before, our head of sports medicine, uh, and the folks on our campus. You know, there are plans in place for how do we how will we deal when there's a student not even a student athlete, but a student would test positive on campus. Certainly we have the same for when a student athlete might test positive. You know, and that's been questions that ADs are asking. What does that mean I'm quarantining my entire team and I'm shut down for two weeks? You know, that, yeah, it's completely possible. But, but, but do you forfeit those games? Are those games right. made up? I mean, inquiring minds want to know. Yeah, listen, that's the, we're, we're all asking <laughs> the same questions. We're all in the same boat in the sense that we haven't had to deal with this ever before. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's why I think seeing – the sports that return first is going to be a real indicator uh, on a lot of things. You talk, you talk about that article. I actually know that article you're talking about. I got three youth sport, you know, members of my home. I got a high school student athlete who's still bummed. He didn't have his, you know, his uh, spring golf season. And, and I got uh, two other kids that want to get back on the soccer field. And we keep looking at this, you know, and I'm fascinated when I read the youth side of it, you know, and, and then the governor just came out in New Jersey and said that June 22nd, they're saying youth sports can kind of start to start to get going again. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, here we go. Well, yeah, now, it's, it's, how are these youth organizations going to be prepared for when somebody's? I mean, I think we're much better prepared in the collegiate ranks and the professional ranks, but on the youth side, I mean, it's, it's fat. I mean, again, these, there's so many more questions than answers, and that's the struggle. I, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but it's, it's money, man. <laughs> there's so much money that is tied to the youth sports, the high school sports, the scholarships. I mean, we are driven as much of from a health and safety perspective in this in this pandemic. We are driven from an economic aspect of yep. how our society continues to move forward. And it concerns me that not every decision is going to be made based 
strictly on that health and safety perspective. Like there are a lot of people trying to push the economy back and, and then I'll stop right there. I, I, no, but Michael, you're right. And, and honestly, I think you guys said it and I, and I hope you understood that it's the centerpiece for us. That's that's it. I mean, every, every piece of planning that we're doing right now, it's with the utmost importance that our student athletes are considered, are taken care of being their safety, their wellness, their health obviously is at the forefront of that because if we can't do that properly, then it's not going to make sense. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Million dollar question. If there is no cure or vaccine in your opinion and only your opinion, what is the likelihood that we see major college football and basketball played if there is no fan attendance? And I'm going to give you the worst answer. I just don't know. You know, I mean, I, I, I honestly, I mean, who does, I mean, I can sit here and try and predict. I, I, I probably, I, I wouldn't even wouldn't even venture to do that because I just don't know. I don't know what it's going to be, and and I don't know when the vaccine's going to come. And uh, certainly, that's the day we all wait for. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how football returns and how the fall sports returns and how things go. Tom, before you ask the last question, it is obvious that Brian has developed in his first interview with us <laughs> into his second year as the Seton Hall athletic director. He's got the answers down cold now. 10 months on the job. He's already got a biggie basketball championship on the resume. He knows how to avoid questions. Look at it. And you know what? I tell my kids all the time, don't say, I don't know. I don't know is not an answer. <laughs> you it know is what? Now. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. Well, Brian, we always appreciate your time. You come on here. You give us the straight answers, even with your I don't knows. <laughs> but we have one last question. We yep. wanted you on earlier, but of course the world changed and everyone was so busy. But if we asked you to give an abbreviated state of the union as being the athletic director about men's basketball and Seton Hall athletics as they are right now today, what would you say? You know, I, I we're as, as healthy as we've been in terms of where, where we've come from and where we are now. Patrick Lyons, before I was there, did a, I think we all know the amazing job he did in leading this department. I, I'm fortunate enough to come into a department that is in a very, very good state. Uh, facilities are strong. We have plans in place to improve on those facilities. Specifically, we talked about men's basketball. Um, you know, our student athletes are doing a tremendous job in the classroom as the GPA continues to rise. Um, you know, we're competing uh, at, a, at, a, at a high level, specifically, obviously, in men's basketball. I think we've seen a lot of our programs really make great improvements. And I know we have some new coaches and other programs that I'm very excited to see where they take our programs. Uh, I think it's very, very solid. It's very healthy and good. And I look forward to a bright future. Uh, certainly this pandemic aside, uh, I know when we get back after it, uh, Seton Hall Athletics is going to do very well. Well, we can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. We really appreciate it. I know you had a busy day planned with virtual college tours for your oldest. That makes me feel real old. Yeah, you should know what we did. We did one this morning, but we have the Seton Hall virtual uh, open house tomorrow, which is the that's the one I'm trying to get him to focus on. Like so. he needs that. <laughs> I mean, he hasn't been on campus long enough, I think. Huh? I, I, he think he, he actually thinks he already graduated from Seton Hall. <laughs> that, but he, I told him he's got to do this one. <laughs> Lots of kids take seven years to get out of college. <laughs> well, thank you, Brian, for your time and all honesty. Don't I get to walk the plank? What happened to that whole thing? That's not a feature. Wow, he's all, oh, you remember? He's you remember? It. I thought there was that's, always a thing. I don't. I'm no, not, that's a, I'm that's not a, a first time only. But if you want us to come up with a special oh, walk the plank, oh, I will. Man. I will develop a special walk the plank for every time that you come on. The a, I didn't know it was just for rookies. I'm a veteran now. I didn't know how this works. Hold on, we can do this. So, Brian, before we let our guests leave, we make them walk the plank. We're going to ask you five rapid-fire questions. We expect five rapid-fire answers because that's what we do to every guest every time. Are you, you think you're ready for this? 
I was waiting for my second chance at this. I can't wait. <laughs> All right, Brian, here we go. Best game you saw this past season. Ooh, oh man, it's funny. We just talked about this in my house because my boys and I, we all had different ones. I, oh God, they were all good. But I, I it, for me, it's no brainer. The game at Villanova, the win at Villanova was just, everything about it was amazing. Best moment this season. So not game, but any moment. Um, ooh, God, again, I, I almost want to say the same thing. I hate to say that because I really love beating Villanova. I mean, that, was a lot, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I mean, I grew up in Philly, man. I mean, I, I've been dealing with my buddies down there forever, and we can't beat Nova at home. So the fact that we beat them there was great. All right, this is this is rapid fire now. Don't forget, next season's expectation. Uh, another tremendous basketball season for our Pirates. All right, best SHU player you've seen? Ever play? Well, I was I was a product of Terry DeHair's years. I mean, Terry DeHair, but I can't not say Jerry Walker because he'll get really mad at me. <laughs> Last question. What is your favorite Left Coast Pirates Summer Series interview that you've listened to? Ooh, uh, you know what? Actually, I, I got to say this. I just listened to the Paul Gauze one, if that's considered that. I thought Paul was great. <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> Brian. You have walked the plank. The question is, is that the only one you've listened to? Not true. <laughs> Bonus, I, bonus question is that the only podcast you've nope. ever listened to? i can play i can play this game i can i can play on the so i'm gonna get here. in trouble because i just said paul goss because my favorite one should have been shaheen holloway because he did a great job but uh you know <laughs> i yes i remember i listened to shahs i listened to a few boys don't you don't don't you dare don't pay me with that brush <laughs> well brian we can't thank you enough for coming on the show we really appreciate you and you're always welcome back it's great to be with you guys. I wish you the best. Stay healthy, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you, Brian. Brian right, Felt, go. everybody. You got it. Go Pirates, guys. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcast with former Pirate greats Mark Bryant, Kadeen Carrington, Arturis Karnishevis, Jerry Walker, and Shaheen Holloway. For Tommy Chilkoharski, this is Mike Dizzy Dizzyri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. Thank <laughs> you.